right? You have to look at that word then and say, what's it talking about? And, and I think it's important to understand in the previous chapter that Jesus is teaching. And he's teaching things like discipleship. He's teaching things like true charity. He's teaching things about how salt, if it's lost, it's savor. And he also has the parable of the feast, the great feast, to where he goes in and he talks about... Sorry. Uh, he talks about the uh, no, too far. Um, the the great feast and how he, all the guests that he invited all had excuses. This world is full of excuses. Just invite somebody to church and just listen to the list of excuses that you get, right? And that's the same in that parable. And then he said, "Well, then go out to the streets, go out into the city, and get everybody you can—the lame, the maimed, the the blind. Get them all, bring them in." And there were still seats open. And then he said, well, go out farther. Go out to the hedges and the highways and bring more in and fill all the seats. And you see that word then. And it's talking about, and then the, scri- the publicans and sinners drew near to him. Those messages gave them hope. Hope that they didn't have before. They didn't have the hope before. That No one has taught like this before. And so it was giving them hope and they were there. And... And they came. And then you see in the verse 2, there's also other people there. There's the Pharisees and scribes. And they're murmuring. Whispering discontent. Hey. You ever hear people whisper that don't really whisper? It's kind of embarrassing sometimes. But, but Jesus can hear it either way, even if you're whispering. But they were saying, this man. They referred to Christ as this man. This man, he's hanging out with the wrong people. Now, you just had these kids up here, and I know all of you parents out there, I know you worry diligently about are your kids hanging out with the wrong people? Because all it takes is just one influence, one person that your child hangs out with, and next thing you know, they're going down the wrong road. And so this man, see, they thought Christ was influenceable. Right? They said this man. If they would have recognized him as the Messiah, they would have understood he's not influenceable. He cannot change, right? It was, it was misplaced worry, with misplaced anger, misplaced frustration, right? And, and so you look at this, verse 3, and it says, He spoke a parable unto them. And I think it's very important for us to understand this, these parables is to understand who the them is and have a clear understanding because that carries through the entire uh, passage, the entire scripture here today. The them. There's those, the sinners and publicans, that have drawn near out of hope. And there's the Pharisees and scribes that are there murmuring against him, right? And they're mad that those other people have that hope, right? Those are the two people. Those two, those are the them. And he's speaking a parable unto both. And, And he's going to speak three parables. These three parables all have the same foundation. They all have the same layout. They all have the same format. Something was lost. Something was found. There is a celebration. The first one was 1% lost. One sheep lost out of 99. Something was lost. Something is found. There's a celebration. The second one is uh, a coin. Something is lost, or a a piece of silver. I don't know if it's a coin. Uh, but a piece of silver is lost, 10% loss, a greater loss. Something is lost, something is found, a celebration. Okay, then the third one, a son is lost 50%. He had two sons, 50% loss this time. 
One son's lost, then he's found, then a celebration. And each one of these parables are building. And the first two, in many ways, are, are preparing you for the third. Okay? And so as we go into these parables, you have a man that has sheep. And he loses one. He loses one of his sheep. And he leaves the 99. And he finds it. He has to put it on his shoulders and he carries it home. And the rejoicing with him, the, the shepherd's rejoicing, everybody is rejoicing with him. They have a celebration. They found their sheep. And then verse 7. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over a sinner that repents. Over one sinner that repents. Over the 99 just persons which need not repentance. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2 because I often wonder what does joy in heaven look like? And I found a couple of different examples. But Luke chapter 2, I felt like kind of summed it up the best in my little mind. And you see in verse, of course it's a very familiar passage, the birth of Christ. And you see in verse 8, and in the same country there were shepherds. Abiding with the flock. Right? In verse 9, And lo, an angel of the Lord coming to them. You guys know this? You go to verse 10, and the angel is speaking. In verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ our Lord. Christ the Lord. And then you skip to verse 13. And I think this will give you a glimpse of what joy in heaven might be. And then, and this shall be a sign unto you. Oh, excuse me, verse 13, not 12. And suddenly there was with, him, with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. I think that might be what joy in heaven looks like. A multitude of angels praising the Lord, saying, Glory to God. You know, when you think about this, this world today has everything upside down. It's flipped. Everything is flipped. And today, I want you to recognize one thing before we move on, that he's saying joy in heaven over one sin of the repents, but they're not saying, good job, little Billy. Good job, little sheep. No. You made it back. Good job. Because that's what we do today. We, we praise the person that repented. It's, thank you, God, Amen. for what you've done to Billy. Thank you, God. You look, how, look how much that sheep did. Hey, he got on the, he, the sheep wouldn't even come. He had to put him on his back and bring him in. Amen. Right? These sheep are done. They're like us. But he had to bring that sheep in. That sheep didn't do anything to be praised. It's the work of God in that person. Right? That's what, we, that's what the joy is over. It's glory to God. Amen. Glory to God. You go to the next parable. A woman having ten pieces of silver loses one. I think it's funny they use the woman in here. I, I'll get in trouble for this one, but I'm going to do it anyway. My wife is the smartest person I know. One of the smartest people I know. But I could retire from American Airlines right now if I had a dollar for every time she said, Where's my phone? Have you seen my phone? Where's my phone? Oh, there it is. It's in my purse. <laughs> Anybody relate with that? It used to be the keys. Now they got keyless entry, so the key just stays in the purse. So you don't look for the key no more. But, right? So a little humor there. 
He, a woman lost her mind. She turned that house upside down looking for that piece of silver. Turned it upside down and she found it. And once again, you see verse 10. Likewise, I say unto you, there's joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner that repents. You see, something is lost. Something is found. There's rejoicing. And there's also rejoicing in heaven. And these two parables, these first two parables, are setting up for the third parable. It's like they're witnesses to say, this is the way it's supposed to be. This is the way it's supposed to be. And the third one is more like, this is what it really is. This is what's really happening. And so the third one is the parable, the very familiar, the prodigal son. You guys all know it as the kids read it. I'm sure you recognize the story. And it starts out in in verse um, 11. A certain man had two sons. And the younger said unto his father, Father, give me that portion of goods which followeth to me. Now, until, until you look into the culture and look at what actually happened here, it doesn't seem too offensive of a statement. But the son just said, Dad, I wish you were dead. Because I want all your stuff. I want my inheritance now. As if you're dead, Father. I, 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 don't, want, I don't want to be around this family anymore. I'm done with this family. I'm done. I want to leave. I want to out of here. Give me my inheritance. And this is the younger son that's speaking. Pitiful. Some of you, I know, the biggest hurt you've ever had is from your own family. Just like this. Just like this. You see that the son has said an awful, awful thing to his father. This isn't just a simple little statement. This is saying, I am... I just prefer you'd be dead right now, Dad. And what does he say? Now, this father in this culture, in this time, should have said, Son, get out. Get out of here. Don't come around. You're gone. You are done with this family. Get out. He could have even had him put to death. Could have even had him put to death in the laws and the culture of the land. But he didn't. He didn't have him put to death. What did the father do? Verse 12, he divided his living, he divided unto them, same them as before, by the way, in the parable, his living. Divided unto them. Why would the father do that? Now, I'm not a big on cliffhangers, I'm not an entertainer. I'm not big on cliffhangers. I, I want to just let you know exactly uh, the way I feel and the way I believe this is teaching. The them, said unto them, those sons, they represent the same them. The sinners and publicans and the Pharisees and the scribes is the same them. The younger son is the sinners and uh, and, uh, publicans and the older son is the Pharisees and the scribes. And the father is Christ. The father represents Christ. And the father, what does he do? In that culture, in that time, your status is all about what you have. The father said, I'm going to go from up here, high status, high importance, high everything, and I'm going to go down to here. I'm going to have nothing. I'm going to take 
and, 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 and as soon as his father agrees to do this, where does the shame go? See, everybody before was like, the son's bad, the son's bad. Now all of a sudden they're going, whoa, father, what are you doing? Why would you take the shame of the son? Now the son looks like he's vindicated. He's, he's, now he's okay. The father took all that shame. The father took it all. And the father went from a high status to a low status. Does that sound familiar? And, the, and, the, and he divided unto him. And what does that son do? In verse 13, not many days later, this wealth that he had, this one-third of the wealth that he would have gotten, it would have been two-thirds to the older son, one-third to the younger son. A few days later, how do you get rid of land and, and, and all this stuff in a few days? How do you do it? You sell it for bargain prices, right? Whatever the worth, he got it rid of it for whatever he could get because he wanted to get out of there. Estate sale, my favorite kind. Let's go, let's auction. Hope no one shows up so we can get it cheap. Right? That's what you wanted to be at that auction. Because it went cheap. You can't get rid of land and everything else. How long does it take to get land in Oklahoma? You know, it would be weeks and months, right? The process takes a while. But a few days later, he goes off to a far country. He's going as far as he could go from his family. And then he goes, wasted everything. Wasted it. Riotous living, harlots, spending his money, all these things he shouldn't have spent his money on. And we had, in verse 14, he had spent it all. It's all gone. And God sent a famine. Because the only, famines, the only way a famine can come is through God. God sent him a famine. And in that famine, he began to be in want. All those people he thought were his friends, all his good buddies and, and all his new friends in his new country, where were they? See ya. They liked his money. But when he's out, they're done with him. Right? And, he, and in verse 15, he joined into a countryman, a citizen, a citizen of the country. And he joined to him and he, he, he got a job feeding pigs. Feeding pigs? A Jew? A Jew feeding pigs? Worse yet, he was eating with the pigs. Worse yet, he was a pig. He was a pig. He was acting as a pig. What, what, this, what this is described, essentially in this parable, is, is almost in that day would have been the worst sinner you could possibly be. Right? So this son has went from being an upstanding young man in the family to a pig. And he's went all the way down into sin to where he's a pig. And he's lost his identity. I've done some studying and different things. I, I look at weird things. I, I admit, I, I have weird ideas about things. On things, I think it's weird. But then I get into this. When you're so far from God that you don't know who you are anymore, you're a pig, you know. When, and people say, "I just can't understand how somebody could think that a man could think he's a woman." When they're so far from God, they've lost their identity. They've lost their identity. They don't even know who they are anymore. And some of you may have been in a place like that before, where you're so deep in sin, you don't even know who you are anymore. You don't recognize yourself when you look in the mirror. And that's where this son is. 
Now I want you to think for a second, just take a commercial break with me and think about the audience of them. The scribes and the Pharisees are going, he's getting exactly what he deserves probably. I'm just speculating. I don't know what they're thinking exactly. But they're probably rejoicing in the, him being a pig. They, they're righteous. They, they, they wouldn't do something like that. What about the sinners and publicans? They're probably saying something like, that was me. That was me. And they, they might be asking the question. And remember, they drew near to him, but I believe because of the hope. Is there hope? Is there hope in this situation? You've got the worst sinner maybe ever described in this parable. Is there hope? Yes, there's hope. There's hope in Christ. And they knew it. The sinners and publicans knew it. The scribes and Pharisees, we'll find out about them a little bit. And then verse 17 says, you know, and by the way, in verse 16 where he was eating the husks, you know, what he was eating, the pig food he was eating, the husk and the cobs, you can't digest that. He would have been deathly sick if he would have ate that. In verse 17, he came to himself. Wake up, call. You know, I think I can't help but think in, in the spiritual world that, that song that Sister Peggy sings sometimes, he touched me. Oh, he touched me. Right? He was touched right here. And he said, and he comes to his mind, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread left over after they eat? And I'm eating husks. I'm living as a pig. And he, and he says, and he prepares his speech, essentially. I will arise and go to my father, in verse 18. And I will say, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am no longer worthy to be called thy son. Make me thine hired servant. You see, because in that culture also, with the shame that we would have had as he left, he wouldn't have been by back. See, because there's no restitution, or excuse me, no reconciliation without restitution. In that culture, he'd had to pay back everything before he could be accepted back in the family. That's culturally in that time. And he knew that. That's why he said, I'll be a hired servant. I'm not worthy to be your son, but I'll be a hired servant. Just, just give me a job and I'll earn my way back in the family. Legalism what that is basically and that's the culture and he he arose verse 20 he arose and he came to his father but he was a great way off I want you to picture this in your minds he was a great way off the father was watching you get that the father was watching how many days do you think he was watching? He was watching and he was, he was waiting on his son. And it says, and that way, culturally, remember, as soon as that son would have hit that community, everybody in that community would have started attacking him, putting him in prison. He would have been scorned, you know, all that, right? So that's what the son should be getting. He should come to the city and be getting all this scorn. Instead, what happens? 
It says, he's a great way off. The father saw him. He had compassion. That's a pretty word. I like that word. Compassion. This country and the people in this country have no compassion for each other anymore. No compassion. They treat each other horribly because of it. But he had compassion on him and he ran. Once again, why would a father run? This is an older, wise man. It'd be like Roy taking off running. How far would he make it before he'd fall over? Right? Old men ain't supposed to run. They would have wore the robes. He would have had to pull up the robe and take off running. That's a shame. See, the father, once again, the son deserved all this shame. And the father, once again, comes in and takes all the shame from the son. Takes it. And he fell on his neck and kissed him. Why would he do that? And the son, he starts his speech. I have sinned against heaven, and in thy sight I am no worthy to be called the son. And he starts probably the second sentence, and the father says, get the robe, get the family ring. See, because the second sentence would have been, I am no longer worthy to be your son. Make me a hired servant. And the father didn't let that sentence get out. You know why? Because by the sovereign grace of God, he granted him full sonship. Sometimes people, they, they, I don't know what grace is. What is grace? This is grace. What did that son do to deserve full sonship? Last time I preached it was, it is finished. I can't help but think the father was saying to him, it is finished. I've already paid for it. Amen. Everything you've already done is already paid for. It's done. Grace. Do you see it? You see the grace of that father and how he represents Christ? And he says, Bring the fatted calf, kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be married. So you see this story, this parable. The next verse should be what? Likewise, there's joy in heaven for every sin of the repentant. If it held true to the first two, it would say that. And what you think about the audience, the them, what do you think the sinners and publicans are saying? They're rejoicing. I think they're rejoicing and they're they're merry because because they understand that 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 was them. They were a sinner like that. And they they were granted full sonship. Did you know you're a joint heir with Christ if you're saved today? You've been granted full sonship? What about the Pharisees and scribes? What are they thinking? Well, the good news is we don't have to think about what they might be thinking. The parable isn't over. Verse 25. Now the elder son was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh the house, he heard music and dancing. 
And he called one of the servants and he asked, what these things meant? What's going on at the house? What's the party about? And the servant says unto him, thy brother is come and thy father have killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound. What were the scribes and Pharisees murmuring about? You see, this is them. Verse 28, and he was angry. He was angry and would not go, and would not go in. He wasn't going to have nothing to do with it. He was upset. Do you know whose calf that was that they slaughtered? It was his. Because the father now has nothing. It's all the, everything that's there is the eldest son's. And, and he's mad. You took my fatted calf and you did it for that boy. That, that man. He was angry. And look what happened to the father though. Verse 28. The second half of that verse. Therefore came his father out. And entreated. And he said, in verse 29, And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou hast never gave me a kid that I might make make merry with my friends. It's not fair. How many times you hear that phrase? It's not fair. I did all this. I did. See, the scribes and Pharisees, they were totally banking, and, and through all the scriptures, they're banking on their goodness, on them keeping the Ten Commandments, and on them keeping that law, on all this. They said, I never broke any commandments. I am perfect. I didn't do this. You didn't do anything for me, Father. Look at this answer. In verse 30, But as soon as thy son was come, which had devoured thy living with harlots. Thou hast killed him, the fatted calf. How could you do this to me? He was angry. He was angry at his father. How could you do this to me? I think that's what the Pharisees were murmuring. How could you do this to us? We have been perfect. We've done all this. And then you go and hang out with sinners? How could you do it? You know? And then the father's response in verse 31, he said in him, Son, thou art ever with me. All that I have is thine. Everything I have is yours. You were given the word. You were given... Everything. And in the in the time in this time in this culture, the Pharisees, they were the religious leaders. They had it all. Christ was there with them first. He went to the synagogues, he went to the temples, his he went to his own, and they and they rejected him. I was there with you the whole time. You rejected me. Verse 32: it was meat that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and now he's found. It was me. Do you rejoice when a sinner repents? Do you rejoice 
You see, if, if there was a verse 33 in this chapter, and I know we're not to add to the Word of God, and I'm not suggesting that, but, but just if there was a verse 33, what would that verse say? It seems to me like it might say something like, and the son was even more angry, and he slew him. He slew his father. Probably go something like that, and you say, well, how could you say that? Did Jesus not die on the cross? Did this anger of these Pharisees continue to build and build and build to the point where they crucified him? I find it funny that everybody refers to this as the prodigal son. In my mind, it's the prodigal sons, plural. Both sons are riotous living. Maybe a different kind. The older son had everything. He was right with the father. And what did he do with it? Wasted it. The younger son had took his and went and wasted it. The, the prodigal just means wasteful spend. You know, it's wasteful. The wasteful son. They were both wasteful. They both needed Christ. They both needed to repent. I mean, in the first part of the parable of the, the, the sheep, it says there's joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, over the ninety-nine that need not repentance. See, the Pharisees didn't think they needed repentance. They, hadn't, they didn't believe they had anything to be repented of. Is that true? You see, if you zoom out one more time on this, today, in today's world, it's still the same them. It's the, still the same them. There's, there's two, in this, in this room today, if somebody's listening, there's still just two groups. There's the people that understand they're sinners and they understand that they, they need God and they need grace and they, and they, and they can relate with it and say, that was me. I was the younger son. I was out there living crazy and God saved me, touched me, and then I came to Him. But then there's others. I don't need that. I don't need that. What, why do I need to repent? Repent of what? I've kept the law. I've, I've done this. I've done that. You know what the... the, the the enemy of grace is legalism. Earn it. That, that older son wanted that younger son to earn it back. You need to earn it like I did. That is an enemy of grace. We don't earn what God gives us. We don't earn it. It's grace. It's pure grace. And you see as that father embraced that son... I hope you can see that in that picture. I hope you can see of God embracing His Son and giving Him full sonship no matter what He did. That's our Father. That's, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. And that's the work He did for us. He gave us full sonship. I pray that this is a blessing to you and I pray that you can relate with the younger son because you're in a good place if you're relating with the younger son. Your mind is right. You understand the need for repentance. You understand the need for, for coming back home to the Father. But if today you, you, 
you relate with the older son if you don't feel like you need repentance we pray for you pray that God would touch you and that would save your soul let's pray our gracious heavenly father lord we thank you for this